1945, we defeated an enemy with the words, It can't happen here. Hmm, dare to revise that thinking? Democracy dies in the dark, in the shadow of lies. Now more than ever, you need the light of truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice of the light is Dan Newman. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to TNN Live. Boy, Pete Moss, do you have any question? He's the voice of TNN Live. You just heard him do this introduction. Is there any question that he's a pretty conservative American? He, he uh, uh, I don't tell him. I don't give him any orders. Hey, you, here's what you need to say in the intros. He comes up with all of this himself. He's probably in the top two or three national voices. Uh, he lives in Chicago. We used to work together in radio. He has his own studio and uh, very unusual for somebody in entertainment that's very successful to be really, really conservative. And Pete Moss is really, (laughs) really conservative. Well, should we take sides today? I don't know. I just don't know. I think we're close to the point, folks, where we're going to be forced to stand on one side of the line or the other and do it in demonstrative fashion and do it for the entire world to see. There is so much division in the world today. So much. And it's coming not so much from the left, uh, from the right. There, there are conservatives that pretty much look at political opposition coming from other people that think differently and they weaponize that against those people. Those Right-wing conservatives are there. I get that. But it seems to me like most conservatives, and I'll say this, a huge majority of conservatives are not out there get-in-your-face conservatives. They're out there living their lives. They've got jobs. They've started companies. They're raising families. They're worried about their kids. They can't right now pay for all their bills. And so credit cards... Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what the credit card debt looks like today as compared to two years ago nationwide. It's got to be going up exponentially because people have fixed expenses. Not everyone is fixed, but we all have. You've got uh, a house payment. If it's not a mortgage, it's paying rent. You've got car payments. You've got to buy fuel you got to buy groceries, electricity, natural gas, whatever your other energy sources are to run your house. And that's before you even do anything. And we're 8.5% higher during this presidency than we were two weeks before he was elected. And there's nothing Americans can do about it other than pray and hope and give our leaders our thoughts on everything. It's time. It's time that we each get out of our cocoon. You know that mirrored room or cubicle that I talk about all the time? If you haven't been here for that, let me explain to you what it is. Pretty much what we Americans do. We're single. You know, we're 
in college were just having a ball. And pretty much we build a room around us in which we live, and it's all mirrors. I'm talking about floor, ceiling, all the walls, it's mirrors. So who do we see? Well, there's nobody else in the room. So all we see is us. And so we do things. We make things. Uh, We make commitments. But it's always about us because we're the only ones in that room. And then we decide we're going to fall in love. And we get married. And so you open the door to that mirrored room and you pull the wife in there. Close the door. Same things apply as before when it was just you, other than there are two of you there. So all you have to deal with every day is your issues and your spouse's issues. And then you have a child. Same things happen again. You see where I'm going here? That's what Americans in large part have done in their lives. And it's been normalized. And whenever there's outrage that we disagree with, because we're living in our house of mirrors, our cubicle of mirrors, that's somebody else's problem. It's not in here in my mirror room. We've got to open that door. We've got to get the hammer out and break all the mirrors. We've got to realize if we're going to survive, we've got to be one people in one nation under God. And you can't do that. You can't be that unless you're integrating with other Americans and not just like-minded Americans, fellow Americans, fellow Americans, which means people from every skin color, race, nation of origin, language, no matter who they are, we've got to be who we are with them. And we got to go light on other people. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're not going to make friends if you enemyize anybody and everybody. Turn them into enemies. They may not be. You may have a perception of them that is 180 degrees off. They may have a perception of you the same way. Integrate. Communicate. Let everybody know how you feel about the important things in your life. They may disagree. You may disagree with other people and what they do in their lives. That's okay. That's okay. We live in a nation founded very substantially, I mean ad nauseum, about how this country is to operate with its government and its people. And it's been out there for 260 years. It's pretty effective. This nation has survived in its present and original structure for 260 years. There are those, and it's very obvious now, there are those that want to destroy that 260-year-old civilization structure. And they want to, for some reason, they want to change it into an authoritarian nation. And we look around the globe, I don't know of a single authoritarian nation that works. I don't look in the rearview mirror and see any that worked in American history. They all fall apart. Why? People cannot take for any extended period of time top-down 
100% top-down government. That's why our forefathers, they made it very clear. This country is to be governed of the people, by the people, and for the people. Not government of the government, government by the government, and government for the government. And that's what this group at the top and the leftist controlling party That's what they are pushing us towards. And we are way down that slope towards that. Americans have awakened. Let me tell you one good thing about COVID-19. When the lockdowns happened around the nation and our kids couldn't go to school, they had Zoom broadcast at their computers at home. And in many cases, moms and dads were not working either. So what did they do? They stayed at home and integrated with their kids, were with their kids all day, in and out, and mom and dad would look over the shoulder and would see and hear what their children had been taught that these parents didn't know. And outrage consumed millions of American moms and dads when they found out what the public educators had been doing in the past and we're doing now. And a huge, powerful giant emerged and became a great voice for real conservatism. And I'm not talking about political speech. I'm talking about fundamental, scientific, here's the way things are. And I'm not going to get into the transgenderism. I'm not going to get into the sexual issues, none of that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know how it applies to you. You can look and see what you discovered when you weren't going to work every day. That put a bunch of things on our plate that really had been there before. We just didn't know about it. And it's a good thing that you and I both now know exactly what their goals and objectives are. And with the midterm elections coming up, folks, it's critical that every American stand up and be counted and make sure your vote is counted and only your vote is counted and counted one time. I remind you every once in a while, the safest election system on the planet doesn't happen here, doesn't happen in Europe, doesn't happen in Asia. It happens in the Middle East, in Afghanistan. You know how they vote? You go to where you're supposed to vote, they look up, you show your ID, they look up if you're eligible to vote there. You go do your voting. And before you leave the voting booth, they make you stick your right forefinger all the way down to the bottom of your finger in indelible ink. That's the way... They prove, and you know, you can't cheat and go vote again. And I got to be honest with you, with the Taliban back in charge, I'm not sure those kind of elections are going to happen again. But if they did and you cheated, they just cut your head off. (laughs) They could stop that really quickly. Well, hey, listen, top of the show, I got to apologize to you. You probably can tell. I, uh, I feel like I have a small house pet crawling around in my throat. 
and I have lubricated. Marianne fixed me some hot lemon tea. I've had water. Uh, I did a breathing treatment. All of those good things. I got to call into the doctor. I think I may have tonsillitis. All that being said, this is why I sound the way that I sound today. And there's a possibility I won't be able to make the two hours. And I hate that because we got two hours plus worth of things that are important you need to know about. Some you may not. Some you may. And so we're going to keep pushing forward. I mentioned the midterm elections. We're inside now seven weeks, a little over six weeks away, November 6th election. And it's probably the most critical election in your lifetime and mine because of everything that's been going on. Looking back to the eight years of Obama and Biden in the White House and look at what they left over and what was fixed during the four years of Donald Trump's presidency and then where just in a matter of seconds, this president took us back towards the authoritarian rule that Obama and his minions were planning on implementing. Hillary Clinton was supposed to take over and have a follow-up eight years of Barack and Joe and get this authoritarian thing entrenched and in place. Of course, the orange man spoiled their plans and they've just been running around with their hair on fire. So we have some very important things to make sure that we get straight before the election so that everybody knows the facts before they go into the voting booth and pull the curtain closed. Looking around the nation, every political race is an important one because it's part of a representative republic, which is what our nation is. What that means is the people, you're not going to go and pull a lever for every issue in your life. It's not that. We elect people to represent us, to do that on our behalf. There are 535 of them that serve in the United States Congress. And then you have the in the administration, we vote only for president and vice president. But those people, whoever they are, and now it's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they take an oath and swear in public, one hand on the Bible, the other hand in the air, and they swear an oath to protect and defend, to make sure the Constitution and the rule of law is adhered, and that they're going to run the executive branch of the government, which includes things like the Department of Justice, FBI, and all the cabinet positions. They're going to make sure those are run as being of the people, by the people, and for the people. So this midterm that's coming up, the balance of those who are pushing and pushing and kicking hard to take us into pure authoritarian governing, we got to make sure those people don't get greater control than they have now. In fact, we need to turn the dial back a little more to the right. We need to win control. We need to win conservative thoughts and ideals need desperately need to win those wars, those battles, so that we can regain some of what we've lost in just a year and a half under this president. One of the places that's critical is Pennsylvania. There's an open Senate seat there. And, uh, I'm sorry, I had to hit the mute button and cough. Dr. Oz, 
television Dr. Oz is running for that seat, as is the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. And this guy, he's really strange. John Fetterman is his name. Don't know him. Haven't seen or heard a lot from him because during his campaign, he had a stroke and it obviously has impacted his communication and his cognitive skills. So he struggles when he speaks. He's a really big guy and he wears a hoodie every day. He's like me. He's bald. He wears a goatee and I have a full beard and a mustache, which he doesn't have. But he's a different kind of guy. He's never been in business. To my knowledge, his parents apparently are wealthy and this guy's in his 40s. And until just very recently, he was still living at home with mom and dad. Now, that's a personal thing, and I don't want to get into that. Well, anyway, he is being pushed hard to debate Dr. Oz. And, of course, Fetterman doesn't want to do it because his messaging is messed up. And if you watch him, if you've seen an interview with him, he speaks and his his sentences are put together very broken. He misses things. And it's obviously the aftermath effects of having a stroke. He again confused Washington, D.C. yesterday with New Jersey. Now, I don't know how you get Washington, D.C. and New Jersey mixed up. He's done it before, the exact same thing. He concluded a speech yesterday with a call for the voters to send him to the nation's capital, eliminate the filibuster, get things done. He struggled to say. So after one of his very frequent, awkward pauses, in which he appeared slightly confused, Fetterman then said, send us back to New Jersey. Send me to D.C. for you. And several members of the audience could be heard chuckling when they heard him utter that New Jersey thing. His speech comes after his campaign has refused to release the results of his latest cognitive test, which has appeared to have declined following his stroke earlier this year. An article from the Inquirer explains Fetterman's campaign claims that he is the candidate for the U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania. He has taken a cognitive test, they say, the results of which they say reveal that his brain is functioning normally for an adult that is his age. The Philadelphia Inquirer did not, however, receive any documentation of the results of that test. They didn't inform the media who administered and scored the test. The article explains that the Fetterman campaign did not provide any documentation of the results or make available to the media the speech therapist who administered the test. The assessment of the Democrat candidate comes after he suffered a stroke in May. So he dodged for a while that debate challenge from Dr. Oz. For weeks he did. And he finally agreed to debate Oz on October 25th after his poll numbers began to slip and liberal commentators warned his hiding could cost him what once appeared to be a assured victory. Last week, his campaign issued a wake-up call after learning that the Oz campaign has been outspending them in TV ads. I'm writing with a wake-up call. Fetterman campaign manager Brendan McPhillins wrote, In the last three weeks alone, Republicans have spent nearly $12 million 
significantly outspending us and outcommunicating us on the airwaves. We cannot allow this to continue unabated. I got to be honest with you. I know why they waited to push that debate back October 25th because a lot of Pennsylvanians right now are voting in advance and they don't want Pennsylvanians that have made up their mind to support him to be detracted from doing that by having a debate if he doesn't perform well and if it looks like he has lost cognitive ability from the stroke in the debate. So this is literally two weeks before the election. Going to wait till then. And either Pennsylvanians have already voted in many cases, or they've already made up their mind before the October 25th day. We're watching that, and the polls are beginning to go and break towards Dr. Oz. And I think it has a lot to do with what the people think about Fetterman's cognitive ability. Now, there's another big deal going on not far from Pennsylvania, Governor Kathy Hockle, she is accused of being under a dark cloud of pay-to-play after reports have shown that the company her administration gave a little contract to, a no-bid contract. In other words, they just awarded the contract to somebody she wanted to award it to. And it's a $637 million contract to purchase coronavirus tests. It was founded, by the way, by one of Hockle's prominent campaign donors. In December, Governor Hockle's administration awarded digital gadgets, that $637 million contract for the purchase of 52 million at-home rapid COVID tests. But Digital Gadgets founder Charlie Tebele and his family are major financial backers of Hockle's campaign. So much so that Tabili held multiple fundraisers for her. November 22nd in one fundraiser, it came less than a month before Hockle authorized the deal with Digital Gadgets. In addition, the deal was made under emergency pretext that may have made it easier for the agreement to be approved. In other words, it didn't go out for bid. The deal was enabled by the governor's revived suspension of competitive bidding rules for the administration's purchase of COVID supplies, a policy change that had also been put in place for a time by her predecessor, Governor Andrew Cuomo, before he resigned. Through an emergency executive order, Hockle suspended those rules November 26, four days after that big fundraiser. You think there's any quid pro quo there? (laughs) Yeah, I believe there is. Interestingly, Tivoli's son, James, started an internship on Hockle's campaign in November of 2021, about the time of that Digital Gadgets contract, before ultimately landing a paid job as a campaign finance associate in her campaign in May of 2022. Tivoli and his family have donated roughly 300 grand to Hockle's campaign, 70000 being donated before the Digital Gadgets contract was made. Further, Tivoli hosted another fundraiser for her in April, roughly two weeks after New York made the final payment on the $637 million contract. New York also reportedly 
paid 45% more than California for the same coronavirus test by going through the third-party distributor, Digital Gadgets. That just doesn't sound feasible, certainly doesn't sound ethical. In selling that antigen test process to New York, Tivoli's company charged a much higher price per test than other vendors the state used last year. California bought the same test that Tivoli was selling for a price 45% less per test, 45% less. Unlike California, which bought the Access BioCare Start test directly from the manufacturer, the Hockel administration bought them through this company, Digital Gadgets, a third-party distributor that took an unspecified cut. New York taxpayers could have saved close to $286 million if the state paid the same prices as California. You know what's stark about this? Not that it happened. But what's stark about it is it comes out. It gets out into the public and it's being reported. Now, this is far after it occurred and there's no way to recoup any government money. But there's an election coming up and Hockle is, is she's running for her first full governor term in New York. She, because she was the lieutenant governor, she filled the role of governor when Cuomo left office. If I'm a New Yorker, I'm pretty hacked off when I hear this kind of stuff. I don't know about you, but I want to know what's going on, and that's not a little boo-boo when you're talking about that much money, and it's awarded to a contributor, a big contributor of the governor, and it was done on a no-bid basis. In other words, she chose the vendor, and it really didn't matter. And oh, by the way, buying it from that vendor, her big supporter, cost New York taxpayers twice, almost twice what California paid for the same test. Something smells there. As I told you, we got a big show today. We have a lot to talk about, and we're going to get into the Martha's Vineyard debacle. And I know it probably won't surprise you, but every day, every few hours, there's more news about what's going on. Those two evil governors colluding with each other to upset the balance of immigrators coming to the United States illegally. (laughs) Oh my gosh, more than 2 million we know are here. (laughs) That probably means there are 3 million that have come since Joe was elected president. But that's okay. It's no big deal. We're America. We love people coming here. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. 
And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go from the top. And action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. For over 70... (laughs) What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Gecko. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. There's only one Dan Newman anymore well that just wouldn't be fair i don't know about that thank you for being with us today thanks for being a part of the truth news network family tnn live and truthnewsnet.org if you haven't already a great story today um, published on the homepage at truthnewsnet.org and i really really want you to read it um Our readership has just gone skyrocketing the last couple of months. And I'm I'm certain that the reason for the readership going up the way it has is because people, as they get closer to the election, people are really, really concerned and are looking for factual information. And another thing that nobody on the left wants to talk about in media, the fact that Donald Trump is being, has been being, is being attacked again by the left, and it's totally politically oriented, and they raided Mar-a-Lago, and we're going to find out after all of this information comes out, the facts are on the table, and not mainstream media reporting on it, but factual things coming through different various news sources. We're going to find out the Department of Justice has been weaponized for political purposes, and the Biden administration specifically Joe Biden and specifically whoever is really calling the shots in his administration. We all know it's not him. They have pushed the Department of Justice to go after Donald Trump, doing anything and everything they can. This is just impeachment part three or four, and they're never going to stop until he goes away. They don't understand this guy. He doesn't go away. When he sets his mind on something, He gets it done. We saw that in four years. That petrified the left because it made them, it exposed them. It made them look exactly like they are in the public eye. And I want to say this about Donald Trump. It's not that he is so much smarter than anybody else. It's because he refused to become politicized. Because if you come politicized, when you get there, you've got to fill in all the gaps. In other words, you've got to change yourself to fit in with the Potomac Valley mindset. Washington, D.C. You've got to learn how to think, talk, and act just like they do. You've got to 
do policies just like they do. You've got to fall in line if you're going to be successful or be accepted. Donald Trump, from the very beginning, he refused to do that. He didn't make it a big deal. He just, he was a businessman, a very successful businessman. And in many ways, he looked at the United States as a big corporation. That didn't intimidate him. And so what's the goal and the objective of every big corporation? It's to provide goods and services to a buying audience, market, whatever you want to call it, and you come up with the best widget at the best price, better than any other entity or big corporation out there that's selling the same widget, and everybody's going to buy your widget from you. That's all he did. Politicians have made the political process what it is, and it's not about just taking care of the business of the United States. It is so conflated in so many different ways, and so many different processes have been embedded in it. And very few of those are for the good of the people. Latest revelation, this forgiveness of student debt thing, this, this, what I'm about to tell you, is the thing that just frosted me. Joe Biden, we heard Nancy Pelosi. You heard it here on this show two years ago when the student debt forgiveness came up. Pelosi said no president has any authority to forgive student debt or any debt. They can change the due dates, move those around a bit, but they cannot cancel debt. Now, that's Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House just before Biden took office. And it's changed. It's changed. And so somebody came up with the idea. Well, we haven't ended the COVID-19 pandemic. The government hasn't said it's over. So during that time period, constitutionally, a president has more power to do certain things. And so we can say we're doing it because we're yet not out of the pandemic. And don't you know, over the weekend, they all went nuts pulling their hair out when Joe Biden said the pandemic's over. (laughs) Because what that means is he acknowledged we're no longer in the slot where his emergency powers are broad and he can do anything that he wants to. I haven't heard him say anything about that this week. Have you? So I guess you heard the ambulance chasers got a hold of a couple of those migrants that were flown from Florida to Martha's Vineyard. You knew it was going to happen. And they got a group of these immigrants to file a class action lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The lawsuit filed by these lawyers with an NGO, non-governmental organization, Alianza Americas, and lawyer for civil rights, and it said this, the John Doe defendants made false promises and false representations that if the individual plaintiffs and other class members were willing to get on airplanes to other states, they would receive employment, housing, educational opportunities, and other like assistance at their arrival. That's in the lawsuit filed by the lawyers. In fact, defendants had made no arrangements, they allege, 
for employment, housing, educational opportunities, or other assistance for the individual plaintiffs or other class members at their destination. Defendants had not even notified any governmental or nonprofit entity that could provide such services that the individual plaintiffs and their similarly situated class members would be arriving. So, as you can expect, Ron DeSantis, people in his office, responded to the lawsuit yesterday saying the migrants made a voluntary journey to Martha's Vineyard and that they were well cared for. The governor's spokeswoman, Taryn Finsky said this, if these activists spent even a fraction of this time and effort at the border, perhaps some accountability would be brought to the Biden administration's reckless border policies that entice illegals to make dangerous and often lethal journeys through Central America and put their lives in the hands of cartels and coyotes. She, Finsky, even provided a copy of the consent form the migrants signed before boarding the plane. I'll read it to you. Uh, it's, it's both in Spanish and in English, and I could try to read you the Spanish version, but it wouldn't be intelligible, so I'll just read you the English version. Quote, I agreed to hold the benefactor or its designed representatives harmless of all liability arising out of or in any way relating to any injuries, damages that may occur during the agreed transport to locations outside of Texas until the final destination in Massachusetts. Finsky added the immigrants were homeless, they were abandoned, and that activists cared nothing for them until they were shipped to Martha's Vineyard. Florida's program gave them a fresh start in a sanctuary state and these individuals opted to take advantage of chartered flights to Massachusetts. It was disappointing that Martha's Vineyard called the Massachusetts National Guard to bust them away from the island within 48 hours. So right after these migrants got off the plane at Martha's Vineyard, Democrats started pushing the absurd talking point that DeSantis kidnapped the migrants. And who was the brain surgeon that first came up with that talking point? Of course, the fair-haired governor of California, Gavin Newsom. He even called on Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate potential wrongdoing. This is what he wrote to the Attorney General. Like millions of Americans, I've been horrified at the images of migrants being shipped on buses and planes across the country to be used as political props clearly transporting families, including children across state lines under false pretenses is morally reprehensible, but it may also be illegal. I strongly urge the DOJ to open an investigation into possible criminal or civil violations of federal law based on this alleged fraudulent scheme, the government said. And of course, all that Gavin Newsom is doing He's making uh, plans, and he's creating a foundation from which he can run for president in 2024. He is certain that the Democrat Party will not allow Joe Biden to run again in 2024, and he believes he's the answer. He's the answer. So about this lawsuit, 
against Governor DeSantis and the government of Florida. One uh, Florida TV station weighed in on exactly what's going on. I-10 Tampa Bay has been uncovering the state has paid nearly a million more dollars to the company that took a group of migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. And this morning, the state and Governor Ron DeSantis is now facing a lawsuit from a group of those migrants. Our Aaron Persegian has been following the latest developments on this every day since it broke last week. Joining us live now with more on what we know. Sarah, Caitlin, a group of those migrants and the firm Lawyers for Civil Rights have filed this class action lawsuit in a Massachusetts federal court. They're seeking unspecified damages, but a lawyer for the group tells us their core goal is stopping Florida from continuing with these relocation efforts from Texas. Now, the governor's office pushing back this morning, saying the flights were voluntary and at a press conference near Bradenton Tuesday, the governor says their efforts are continuing. Now, we uncovered that the state gave the same charter company an additional $950,000 for the relocation program, bringing the total money put in at just over $1.5 million. When that will be used, we don't know. We've asked the governor's office for comment multiple times, and they didn't respond. Officials in the state of Delaware and the White House say they were tracking a flight that was scheduled to land in Delaware Tuesday afternoon, but that route was canceled. Flight ended up landing in New Jersey later that night. Meanwhile, some state leaders are questioning the legality of flying migrants from Texas to other states. We're basically pulling people into the state of Florida just for some nexus, just for some touchdown. Uh, literally on a tarmac to consider that being in or from the state. And I think that's, uh, that's beyond weak. And so a lot of eyes have been on the money, the dollars here and the Florida dollars. So where is it coming from? Well, in the state budget that was passed earlier this year with bipartisan support at that is $12 million for this new program. The state still has about $10 million more to use for these efforts. So this, this company, uh, this obviously was a uh, well-planned process that Ron DeSantis and others in the Florida government in conjunction with Governor Greg Abbott from Texas because that's where these immigrants were picked up in San Antonio to be exact. So it's a plan. And here's the, the, the funny part about all of this to me. Democrats' hair's on fire. I mean, literally, they are screaming and hollering. Even the people, many of the people in Massachusetts, Martha's Vineyard, although it's very puzzling for me, and I'm sure it is for a lot of you and other Americans, when a state declares itself a sanctuary state and a city declares itself a sanctuary city, oh, we're welcome. We want these immigrants to come. This country was built on the backs of immigrants and they're always going to be part of the fiber of this nation. We want them to come. We'll open our doors. We'll help them. Help them find a way to plug into the United States of America. And we'll be thankful for it. Sure, as something happens, and of course thousands of illegals show up at Martha's Vineyard, the whole place went absolutely nuts. It was 48 people. 48 people. To the credit of people in Martha's Vineyard, at least one group rallied to aid those migrants who touched down on the island for two nights, less than 48 hours all told. The unexpected visitors spent two nights taking shelter in the rectory hall of St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Edgartown, Massachusetts, and were cared for by its members. There were people who needed help. 
The mission of our church is to help people in need, to do what Christians are supposed to do. That makes sense to me. So when the migrants got there, authorities called Reverend Father Chip Seidel, but he was off the island. So Rush, this lady, Rush, she sprang into action to rally support for the migrants from church members and others in the community. They, the authorities, she said, asked if the church could take in some of the migrants. Well, Friar Seadale answered, no, we can take in all of the migrants. So the 48 spent two nights on the island before state authorities had them bust and ferried to Joint Base Otis on Cape Cod. Rush said the island of Martha's Vineyard is not equipped to provide long-term care to these migrants who had been flown from Florida to the island a week ago. It was not for lack of wanting to help, but for lack of physical space on the island itself, she said. The island's only homeless shelter runs only in the winter. It has space for only five to ten people. I think everything happened so fast. I don't think long-term plans were even discussed, she said. So the friar said in a phone interview on Tuesday, he was away at a conference in North Carolina while the migrants were in Martha's Vineyard. He was nevertheless moved by the community response, calling it an incredible miracle, he said. All the sectors of the community, we're talking police, emergency, fire, the people who know how to make meals for our winter community suppers, the people who helped to staff our overnight winter shelter program, they all came out and knew exactly what they needed to do. Isn't that what Americans are supposed to do? Help people that are in need. And these migrants, forget about the DeSantis-Abbott plane trip. That is meaningless in the context of this. Listen, this president created, he created the structure for this very thing to happen. Remember, every few days there for I guess weeks, maybe even months, in the dark of night, charter jets landed secretly at airports around the nation, taking illegal immigrants to parts unknown and dumped them there. And then the buses, they have been busing immigrants all over the United States. And they want to go postal? <laughs> Why do you think they're so upset? Because there's one reason, one reason only. This happening has opened the eyes of even more Americans to how vile and wicked and illegal the actions of this administration are by not enforcing the rule of immigration, federal immigration laws regarding specific ways the Constitution says immigrants coming to America are supposed to be processed and treated. And this administration, they just tore up the book. They tore up the Constitution. Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas, they're going to pay for this. Both of them will pay for it. And I got to be honest with you, there's a possibility they'll pay for it with their jobs. Meanwhile, Texas is going to keep it up. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said that the Lone Star State's going to keep transporting illegals to other locations, both as a wake-up call to D.C. 
and as a way of fighting back against the Biden folks' lax border policies. They're not lax, folks. He erased them all. They've been dumping people in America for a long, long time, the lieutenant governor said. Now Texas is saying, we're fighting back. We're going to send them to your neighborhood. We're going to keep those buses coming until finally this administration wakes up. Patrick said Texas is now spending about $4 billion a year on border security. Border security is not an obligation or even a right of states It belongs solely in the lap of the federal government. They're supposed to do for and finance everything that's done at not just the southern border, but even our northern border. Patrick said, this is a financial burden on us. More importantly, it's an invasion of our state. His remarks came as Texas continues to bus illegals to locations out of state. As Florida, Ron DeSantis sent several migrant planes to the wealthy enclave of Martha's Vineyard. Obviously, there are going to be buses like Texas is doing. There may be some more flights containing illegals. DeSantis said that in a news conference in Florida five days ago. The governor's actions sparked backlash from Democrats. Of course, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Democrat Senator for Massachusetts, calling the decision to fly illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard repulsive and cruel. She never said anything about flying those to those rural airports north and northwest of Manhattan in the middle of the night. She never demonized that. But this is especially evil. And the reason she said it was is because it was Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis. If it had been the governor of Massachusetts or the governor of California, it would all be okay. We were just being friendly and handing out, taking care of the needs of those that have been disenfranchised and have no place to go. But just because the people that are doing these things have an R after their name, that makes it despicable, doesn't it? Wow, wow, wow. Well, George Soros is back in the news. George Soros probably, if not the, one of the most evil players on the political landscape of America today. Not even a Native American, but he does have dual citizenship. But he's got a lot of money, a lot of money, and he is spending it out the wazoo trying to buy another election. This election coming up, in a little more than six weeks. Got that and more right after this. From Krakow to Grand Island, Milan to Hanoi, this is TNN, the Truth News Network. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, The instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. (laughs) Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Long live the courageous. May God bless and keep you always. May you the tenacious. May you 
ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. We reported yesterday that a not-for-profit Good Information Foundation, that not-for-profit got a massive donation from one of George Soros' uh, 501s that he uses to pass out campaign dollars, which in essence is illegal because charitable organizations, tax-free organizations, cannot get involved by the letter of the rule that made 501c3 corporations and the structure that was set up. You can't give money away for political causes. George Soros does it. He has been doing it. Nobody says a word. Maybe it's because he has blackmail material. I don't know. But anyway, nobody can find out who's operating this 501c3 that he gave the money to. Good Information Foundation. Can't find their names. Can't find out who's running it who's on the board of directors, and they're a brand new group. So you would think that information would be publicly available to look at their financial stuff because they're a not-for-profit. So are they going to be participating in these public policy debates in and around an election and without anybody really knowing who they are, how much money they have, or anything else? Those are questions that are being asked by a lot of people. Attorney and legal commentator, a guy named Preston Moore, posted a video over the weekend saying that he was offered and rejected $400 by the Good Information Foundation. They wanted him to make a video that attacked Donald Trump and Trump Republicans. This same foundation, Good Information Foundation. It allegedly wanted more to create a video about January 6th and post it on his social media platforms to reach the widest possible audience. It became really clear, obviously. They wanted him to use the most graphic images possible. This is, I guess this stinks to me, and it sucks in politics that very wealthy people that are politically connected, that have a a particular slant that they can find ways just because they have money to bend the tide of an election toward their cause against other people's causes. That flies against the very foundation of the nation, against the Constitution, against the structure of free and fair elections, 
and then they want to get up and pontificate if anybody questions it. I read a story yesterday. It's almost two or three times a week now. We get a story that reveals some court somewhere found election fraud in the 2020 election. And, of course, they're still trumpeting with a big microphone at the U.S. Capitol about you can't prove, nobody's proved there was any voting irregularity or cheating in 2020. Yes, it has happened. Courts around the nation, I would say right now, two dozen different cases where people have been convicted of cheating in the 2020 election. And then when you bring that up, those on the left always say, well, there wasn't enough to change the outcome of the election. We don't have any idea. So how many is okay? How many cheating votes are okay? How many are acceptable? Well, just remember this. Any illegal vote that's cast, it negates a legally cast vote. So it's a double whammy when it happens. And this administration, not only are they not acting like they believe it happened, they're suborning it happening again and again with situations like this thing, with Good Information Foundation. What this Department of Justice should be doing would be to go dig in and make sure this operation and any of these 501c operation charitable organizations are operating within the parameters, within the law. Novel idea, a U.S. president that supports the rule of law. I can't wait to get somebody in the office again that does that. This guy, he doesn't have a clue. He considers himself and the things that he wants and the things he dislikes. That's the law of the land. Why? Because the American people elected me to do it. I'm the president of the United States. I'm Joe Biden. I'm the guy that those kids at the pool when I was a lifeguard, I'm the guy that sat on the lifeguard stand And these kids would come over because they were mostly African-American and they wanted to rub the hair on my legs. I can't imagine any man allowing that to happen. But then years later, when he's running for president, when he was running, he hadn't even been elected yet. When he was running for president, he told that to a group of media people. I would be embarrassed to have had that done. But he made a big deal out of it because that happened. That meant the people liked him. I'm Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden. So we haven't talked about Ukraine in a few days. But let me tell you this. That's about to become a firestorm. Vladimir Putin warned the West yesterday that Russia's nuclear threats are not a bluff. He issued a warning after he accused some Western countries of resorting to nuclear blackmail, despite no NATO countries threatening to use nuclear weapons. I couldn't find anywhere that that happened. The threat comes as Russia's prospects in Ukraine are getting grimmer every day. Putin's military is losing thousands of square miles of territory to a Ukrainian counteroffensive. And he didn't think they would do this, but here they are. These Ukrainians are hanging in there. To those who allow themselves such statements regarding Russia, this is Putin talking, 
I want to remind you that our country also has various means of destruction and for separate components and more modern than those of NATO countries. And when the territorial integrity of our country is threatened to protect Russia and our people, we will certainly use all the means at our disposal. He said that in an address yesterday, and he ended with this. It's not. It's not a bluff. Ukraine's counteroffensive has pushed Putin toward drastic measures, no doubt about it. Russia announced a partial military mobilization late Tuesday. The policy is going to see Russian military conscripting reservist civilians. They're having to go get new people. They don't have enough people serving in their military to continue this war. Fear of a wider mobilization has caused a mass exodus of young men fleeing Russia. Flights from Russia to countries that don't require visas were completely booked yesterday. Putin argues that conscription, which is drafting, is necessary to protect our homeland, its sovereignty, and territorial integrity, to ensure the security of our people and people in the liberated territories. Now, let me just say this. Way back in the old Cold War days, the early Cold War days, I'm talking about the late 50s, early 60s, when nuclear threats just became a realistic deal. Those of you that were around, and baby boomers, you were around. I was I was born in 53. So when JFK was president and the mess happened, Russia taking missiles to Cuba, and it got busted and it almost turned into nuclear war, that's when I first awakened and realized what nuclear weapons, what they were about and what they could potentially do. So I started paying a little better attention to it. But you remember all of the blustering that went on for the next 15 years during the Cold War. It was then the Soviet Union. It wasn't Russia. The communists owned it, operated it, ran it from top to bottom, and they did all the messaging. And what they did... This is before any nuclear treaties, before the United Nations really got involved in all this kind of stuff. And the UN was was operational, but it was very young. Nobody had any method of double-checking what the leadership in the Soviet Union were putting out there. They made it clear they had just as many nuclear weapons as we did. And they said again and again, we know exactly how many the U.S. has, where they're keeping them, and we have the ability to obliterate all of the U.S. And if we're, if we're treated the wrong way, somebody tries to come up against us militarily, we will do that. We're not afraid of using them. And then we find out years later, it was all a bluff. They didn't have those nuclear weapons. Now, you got to remember this. Vladimir Putin came out of that era. He was one of the bad, wicked, mean officers of the KGB. I mean, the really bad guys in the Soviet Union. So he learned all of that, and he carried it with him. Now, why am I mentioning that? We really don't have any idea if he would actually do that, push the trigger, fire some nukes at somebody. If he did, where would he go? Where would he send them? Think about that. 
Do you think if something like that happened, if he actually nuked, and let me think of a place, somebody he hates. Well, he hates everybody. <laughs> um, honestly, I can't think of a place where it would be innocent enough where nobody would counter what he was doing. I think every place that I could think of, top of my head, if he lobbed a few nukes in there, the United Nations, by by agreement, would have to retaliate. If it's a NATO country, every NATO member would have to retaliate. So what are you saying it would be, Dan? It'd be World War III. There's no other way around it. The conversations that have been happening about Taiwan and what China would do and all those kind of things. If China lobs a nuke anywhere, it's going to be World War III. I mean, we are right on the edge of that happening. The Ukrainian counteroffensive has really pushed Putin toward those drastic measures. And I, I, I get the feeling, I get the sense, and I don't know the man. I'm probably like you. I've listened to what he said for years. I'm a researcher. I've looked into his past. I've found out a lot about him that the mainstream media never reported. He's not a good guy. He's a little guy, and he's very conscious of his stature. That sounds kind of like North Korea, Kim Jong-un's. He's a little guy, but he's got a round belly. (laughs) And he takes that very, very critically in his mind. I'm sure Vladimir Putin does the same thing. Why am I bringing this up? I got to be honest with you. First of all, I don't think we really know what he is willing to do. I don't think we really know how weak his military capabilities are, but we do know they are way less than they were when this invasion of Ukraine started. I'm just saying, watch closely, because that all could change in just a matter of minutes. If he decided, if he got hacked off, and he decided to push a button and lob a nuke here or there, it could change the entire world overnight. We're that close to something like that happening. And that, my friends, is disturbing. Much, much more left to get to. The first hour is already done. My gosh. It happened quickly. We sent some people to the streets to find out what people think, New Yorkers especially, what they think about these migrants being bused to New York from the state of Texas and elsewhere. And as you can imagine, we got some varied answers and responses. I'm going to let you hear from those people right after this. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless sleep blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? 
Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home. But now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Conservative thought, not just talk. At TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. You know, in this news era, when we find that there is so much gross misrepresentation of facts, and it comes from the mainstream media, legacy media, whatever you want to call them, it comes from them. And there... The left has control, almost total control, of what is being reported and the way it's being reported in the news. We don't hear a lot of um, factual information about what people really think. I'll give you some examples. We hear polling results every day, and especially in the run-up to this midterm election. Everybody's curious about what fellow Americans think. Every big deal that happens, it doesn't have to be about a political election or anything like that. It could just be about a policy, something that's happening in this big city, what the government is doing over here. All those kinds of things are very important. And we have these polling companies out there. Now, let me, let me just explain this. There are some not-for-profits that run polling operations. But the lion's share of the polling entities that we get the polls from or for-profit entities. Now, what does that mean? They got to make money. How do they make money? Who's going to pay them for doing those polls? Well, what happens is these political campaigns are really big players in that process. They'll go to a polling company and they'll say, we want to hire you to go do this poll. And we want to work with you on the questions that are being asked. And so what are these for-profit polling companies going to do? Well, these are customers. They're going to say, okay. And so typically what has to happen is all realistic polls have got to factor in the mix, the political mix of those that are being polled. And right now in most states, Democrats have more people registered as Democrats then people in those states are registered as Republicans. So when they go do a poll, when you hear they polled a thousand people and they give you the results, those are always weighted based upon the registration numbers of Democrats and Republicans in either the district or the state in which these polls take place. What we don't know is when they give us the polling results, when they shout them from the rooftop, when it makes them look good, was the poll that they're talking about the results of, was it weighted properly? Does it consider the fact that in that particular area or state, 
there are this many percentage-wise fewer Republicans than there are Democrats, or if they just give you the numbers. They like to, closer you get to the election, they like to push it the way that they want the election results to go on November 6th. So what does that mean, Dan? Have you noticed all of a sudden, just like in 2020, in the last two months before the election, oh man, it began to look really, really good for Democrats. Evil Republicans, the American people don't want them there. And then when we have elections and we have results, very often of late, the polls have been wrong. The polls have been wrong. So anytime we're part of a situation where we go to the streets, we go to actual people, I think you get a better sense. Now, these people that they talk to on the streets, this is not really a scientific polling thing. It's just a way to get a fix of what people think about any particular thing that you want to ask them about. And then when they're reported, typically, you know what happens, the same thing. They'll, in the editing room, they'll pull out anybody or most of those people that disagree with the mainstream message they're going to get. We talked to some people on the streets in New York about this. I'm here in Texas, and we're going to ask Texas, what do they think of migrants being bused to New York City and Washington, D.C.? And I'm in New York to see if these immigrants are being welcomed with open arms. Let's go find out. Texas is busing migrants coming from across the border into New York here. So what's your opinion on that? In a city like this is already overpopulated, it may not be a good choice. So maybe like in a less populated area or state. But it is also super crowded, so I don't know if it'd be the best. Populated. Yeah. Yeah. So it could it could be an issue. The state is already a populated state. Like we have a bunch of people here. Like it's already populated. What do you think about the governor of Texas busing migrants to the city of New York and DC? Now we're having these mayors start to complain and saying they're being overrun by the migrants. What's your thoughts on this whole situation? Well, I think, uh, you know, the governor of Texas, finally, he's doing something good. It's been a problem for a while now since Biden got here. These liberal, liberal people down in New York, you know, they're finally getting to see what, what we're getting now here. Man, we've been dealing it with it for a while down here in Texas. You know, people down closer to the border as well, they've been dealing with it for a couple, couple years now. You know, all these migrants flowing in and uh, just telling all those people from the north, all the liberals in the north in New York, you, dude. You, all right, this is what you get. Man, now you're getting to experience what we we're getting to experience for the past year. Now what New York is doing is they're saying like, okay, we're full, like we know we can't handle this, this influx. What do you guys think about that? Do you think it's like hypocritical of, of New York to do that? I don't think it's necessarily hypocritical uh, because it's not like they're saying, no, we don't want any immigrants, but the city is packed. They do have to protect the interests of the people who do live here already. At the same time, it is a balance. God, it's just like some grade-A hypocrisy from Texas. I do think it is pretty messed up of Texas to handle it like that. I guess it's better than sending them back to where they came from, of course, but uh, it's so kind of disappointing that they wouldn't just be willing to, you know, help them out in their own state. I do when immigrants do come to America, though, so. But New York City, uh, I don't know. They shouldn't be complaining. New York should not be complaining. They invited them. They told them, you're welcome here. We are a sanctuary city. They have plenty of resources. It's our taxpayers' money. 
It's time that the other states take responsibility too. We're all one nation. And they can't handle it either, but look at us, you know, small towns, we're getting overrun. It's been going on for a while, it's a problem. And uh, do you think it's, um, I mean, what's your thoughts that, you know, these, these mayors are the types to say, hey, we're sanctuary cities. We, we, welcome, we welcome these migrants with open arms, and, and now they're saying that they're, they're finally being um, overrun. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that, that they're finally seeing that the issues that Texas are finally seeing? You know, we're small towns. I said, that, I said that already. They're bigger cities, you know, and they have all this stuff, and they're already complaining, but this has been going on for months. Now they get, they get to see how we feel. You have these, like, sanctuary cities all of a sudden who are welcoming to migrants, with their open arms and all of a sudden when the migrants are actually getting busted all of a sudden they're like whoa 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 i don't know if we actually want these people in here yeah no dude they they don't care they actually don't care all they care is about like this woke narrative you know they just want to be part of something that's helping out people but when it actually comes to actually you know going in being in their cities they don't want it they don't want these people there it seems so petty and uh, like it's just sort of ignoring the humanity of people that are coming over here to a bad situation from something that's probably much worse. And uh, it's just such a disgrace that we can't get together and try to help in a way that's healthy for everybody. I think that's a bit um, unreasonable. Texas is a bit extreme in general as a state. I love to see it. I love to see him out of Texas. Like I love to see other people or other uh, officials kind of getting a taste of their own medicine. You know, we've been putting up with it for too long, um, you know, paying tax, tax money or, you know, just kind of like, you know, contributing to basically like their own mess. And it's time for them to, you know, handle their own mess. All of the Texas border is littered with clothes, with bottles. These people are dirty. When, they've, when they're when they at the shelters, they have restrooms, but do they defecate in the restrooms? No, they defecate wherever they want. We need to share. We need to share this problem because we have been having this problem all along the Texas border. And it's time that the other states begin to realize what is going on and how maybe to help us so that we can stop this. They, they basically dug their own hole and um, now they, they're, they're crying about it. But we, I mean, we, us in Texas had to deal with it. A state is a state, it lands land, you know? So it's like, they could be here, why can't they be there, you know? So it's like, they're gonna take our resources, our hotels, our, our food and stuff, why can't they do it there? The liberals are all tripping. This is just one example bad leadership. Think about it. Federal government has sole authority and sole responsibility to govern, regulate our borders. They create and they operate border protection. Congress passed laws, immigration laws. They've worked really, really well for, gosh, tens of dozens of years. And every year, more people legally immigrate to the United States than do to every other nation on the planet combined. We average about a million a year that come here legally. One million a, le- a year. Nobody else comes close to allowing that to happen. So it works really well when, guess what? It's governed, it's regulated according to federal immigration laws that are passed by Congress and signed by the current president of the United States. And there's a simple process. If you don't like the current immigration laws, change them. If you don't like them, you can amend them. You can throw them out. You can create new ones. But those have to come from the people's representatives. 
the people's representatives. Who is that? The United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate. That's the place where every law must be made. No other place. This president, just from the very beginning, he made it very clear. He doesn't like constitutional laws, the way they're written, numerous ones of them. And he basically thumbed his nose at the rule of law. In other words, enforcing the laws as written. He never came out, never did anything. He's got a couple of years left. If he wants to be a good president on the second half of his term, he needs to get out there and enforce the law. That's the executive, the CEO of this country's number one job, to protect and defend the people of the United States. And you don't do that by letting two million plus pour in across our border without having any idea of who they really are. Two million. That's the ones we know about. How many more did we not know about that got in? And nothing exists in a vacuum in this kind of situation. It impacts other states. It impacts other people. And it certainly impacts our government. And yet this president does nothing. Opens the door and says, come on in. Now let me tell you what's at the bottom of this. 32 million Latinos... 32 million are eligible and will vote in dozens of pivotal House, Senate, and gubernatorial elections across the country November 6th. 32 million plus. Can you believe that? Latinos make up the second largest voting bloc in the U.S., constituting almost 20% of the nation's total population. That's no secret, of course, with candidates of every persuasion aggressively going after the Latino vote with Spanish language political ads in tight races in places across Texas, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Oregon, and Florida. The Republican National Committee on September 8th announced it had hosted this year more than 5,000 separate events appealing for minority votes at 38 voter outreach centers in 19 states, including dozens that were labeled Hispanic Community Centers. The campaign is meant to sustain the momentum that Republicans gained among Latino voters during the Trump presidency. Now, wait a minute. We were told Latinos desperately want the southern border to be obliterated. They wanted their fellow Latinos from Central America, South America, Mexico to be able to come here to get better lives for themselves. The opposite of that is true. These 32 million Latinos who are going to vote November 6th, that's an estimate. It may be more than that or less than that, but it's going to be a bunch of people. How do you think they're going to vote? I can tell you how they're going to vote. I've seen the polls. They're going to support whoever the conservatives are that are running. Not all of the 32 million will do that, of course but a majority will do it. Why is that? They want the rule of law to be in place, to be very, very well taken care of and operated by, 
and they want federal immigration laws to be honored. Why is that? They came the right way. Why would it be okay for anybody else to come that doesn't come the right way? What's the right way? The way the law says it's supposed to happen. And everybody understands that and knows that. They just want to forget about it, bypass it. Why? Because the Democrat Party needs more Democrats. And they feel, and rightfully so, that if they get a bunch of Latinos in here, those Latinos in mass are going to be Democrat voters. Not to the level that they think or thought it would happen. Because many of those that come here don't like the hard leftist ideology. Democrat heavyweights are directly today appealing to Latino voters to seal the erosion that they've seen. It's become a solid, reliable bank of support that is leaving the Democrat Party. Critics within and without the party They say Democrats may have taken the Hispanic vote for granted too long and are only now beginning to focus on it. Joe Biden addressed the 45th Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute Gala last week. He used the occasion to tout how the American Rescue Plan benefits Latinos by providing access to vaccines, better health care, keeping schools open. Former President Obama, a Democrat, in a couple of weeks, actually in just a few days, he's going to address the fifth annual Latitude Conference, the nation's premier Latino business event in San Diego. Both parties are trying to tailor their candidates' campaigns to appeal to Latino voters with tactics and strategies that are based on data and polls that have been collected and analyzed since June by some of these big research firms, media groups, and campaigns. Folks, it's all about X's and O's now. Totally about X's and O's. They know it's down to the final, final few yards of the race. Regardless of how all this data is interpreted, there's plenty of opportunity for candidates of both parties to gain favor with a Latino voting bloc that is hardly monolithic. They don't vote in mass. Democrats, I think they've lost a lot of uh, Democrats that would be there and many that were because they're treated like they're all one thing and they're not. Same way Democrats have treated the African-American vote for decades. They just assume African-Americans are going to vote for the Democrat candidates at every level. In 2020, when Latinos cast one-tenth of ballots in the presidential election, Biden got an estimated 61% of that vote. That's down from over 70% that Obama received in his two elections. Latino voters nationwide, they identified jobs, the economy, health care, schools, and public safety as their top priorities. Go figure. You know what? White people, Caucasian, they identified jobs, the economy, health care, schools, public safety as top priorities. They're human beings, folks. They're not just a vote. 
They need to be looked at. Their opinions need to be listened to. We owe them that. We're talking about the ones that are here legally. You know something we hadn't talked about? The FBI. Let me tell you what's going on with the FBI. Christopher Wray, he senses what's happening politically in the United States. And he, especially because he appears before different committees several times a year in Congress, and the last time, the last go-around, he just got ripped. And what he did that hacked off Republicans in these committee hearings, what he did was he would often, his throwback, his fundamental statement response is, I'm sorry, I can't talk about that right now. It's, it's confidential. It's classified. I don't have that. I'll have to get back to you. That's the way people in the intelligence community, that's the way they act. They make it appear that they are more important than who's asking the questions, and therefore you can make, you can make the choice to either respond or not respond and just tag it as classified and it's going to go away. But Christopher Ray, he had his nose to the ground and he knows big things are coming that are bad for the Department of Justice, specifically the FBI. Listen to this. The FBI has arrested 6,000 alleged violent criminals across the nation over the past four months. 6,000 have seized more than 2,700 guns, large quantities of fentanyl, Violent crime is on the minds of a lot of Americans right now. Top of mind for police chiefs and sheriffs who constantly say that the rising rates of gun and gang violence is one of their most important and difficult challenges. Who said that? Christopher Ray, FBI director. The FBI has faced increasing criticism about its targeting of Donald Trump and his supporters said that its agents, the FBI did in a, in a memo, its agents and local law enforcement officials arrested nearly 6,000 alleged violent criminals and gang members, seized more than 2,700 guns connected to criminal conduct. Those operations were carried out in California, Texas, Hawaii, Illinois, New Mexico, Washington, Pennsylvania, and Puerto Rico. The Los Angeles Metropolitan Task Force on Violent Gangs arrested 28 members and associates of the South Los Angeles-based Eastside Playboy Street Gang for alleged federal racketeering, firearms, and narcotics charges. The task force seized about 47 guns, almost 200 kilograms of meth, 27 kilograms of coke, more than 13 kilograms of fentanyl, and more than 7 kilograms of heroin. The FBI said its gang task force executed 16 federal search warrants that targeted prison and street gangs around Albuquerque. They seized more than 1 million fentanyl pills, 142 pounds of meth, 37 firearms, 9 ballistic vests, 2 hand grenades, and $1.8 million in cash. Now put all of that, put it all together and reconcile it with what I'm about to tell you. The average murder rate across the U.S. hit 6.9 murders per 10,000, per 100,000 in 2021. 
That's the highest number it's been in more than 20 years. Drug overdose deaths at the same time spiked to more than 107,000 nationwide. Same year, 2021. That sets an all-time record. Some critics have said that Democrat-sponsored policies targeting bail reform have allowed repeat offenders back on the streets. It's not just people saying it. It's facts. That's happening every day. I'm sure you probably saw the video of the African-American guy walking into that business with that hatchet, and he just started swinging the hatchet at will, breaking up furniture, destroying things that are in that store. People were standing around. They were scared to death. He threatened to go hit somebody with that. He gets arrested. He didn't even go to jail because he didn't commit quote-unquote violent crimes. Does that make you feel warm and fuzzy? I got to be honest with you. I'll tell you this a personal story. I love Manhattan. I love going to New York City. I just fell in love with it years ago, and I just like it. It's the melting top. There are so many different na- nationalities, ethnic groups, and it's. I think it's really cool, especially in the south part of Manhattan. There are blocks, and on this block, this is an Italian block. All the restaurants are Italian. And you cross the street, just really, you cross the street and you're in, uh, from Italian town, you're in Chinatown. You have all these ethnic groups that are reconciling together. It's just really cool. The food there is great. My favorite barbecue restaurant in the world is just off Times Square. Virgil's. Who would think that the best barbecue, my favorite barbecue, would be in New York? I mean, I live in the South. I live in Louisiana. Barbecue down here is really, really good. Virgil's is better. I'm saying all that to say this. People, citizens of the United States, they expect our government to protect us. Every area in government. Principal thing they need to do is take care of the populace, which means fighting crime, making sure that when I go to Virgil's Barbecue on the way there or on the way back or while I'm there, I'm not mugged, I'm not being held up, and I'm not getting in the line of fire and possibly be a murder victim because they, New York City, the Big Apple, they've taken the criminals off the street. That's not exactly the way it is right now. And I have a nephew that lives or is based out of New York. He's in the entertainment business. Really good singer. And I think about him going, he, uh, he's he been in many shows, off-Broadway shows. He's a great singer and a really good guy. Um, he is actually sought out as a singer. All that being said, he loves New York just like Uncle Dan does. And he's hesitant to walk the streets the way he used to when he went to Manhattan. I haven't been in a few years, and I don't really intend to go there. It's about our government officials doing their jobs and taking care of the criminal elements on the street. And by the way, enforcing the laws that if it's in a city, the city council passed those laws, law enforcement are hired, to execute the laws and use those to keep the populace safe. 
and they're not doing it. They're not doing it. Bragg, that district attorney in New York, the New York governor needs to fire him. There is no way you can reconcile or come up with a reason why anybody that is arrested for a criminal act, even violent criminal act, doesn't have to pay bail to get out of jail. And the number one reason that should never happen is because it's a law that says the opposite. And this guy, he just grabbed the unilateral authority to decide what laws to enforce, which ones not to enforce, and which ones, when they're being enforced, you go after and charge somebody according to the law rather than his opinion, and he does it based on his opinion. And the people of New York City are letting this happen? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. We were talking about, just a little bit ago, about voter registration. Specifically, we were talking about Latinos. But it's not just ethnic people. At least there is one left-of-center publication that can talk about what's going on with voter registration trends. And I don't normally give you stories and talk about um, leftist publications like Politico in this case. Politico has a more level-headed take on the surge in new voters that have come onto the scene after the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Liberals are banking that an abortion monster is going to rise from the depths to ruin the Republicans' 2022 midterm election chances. With a lack of legislative achievements, inflation through the roof, and economic recession forming the albatross around the Democrats' neck, abortion, it's their Hail Mary throw at salvation. At least they're looking that way. Joe Biden's approval numbers remaining in the low 40s to high 30s also doesn't bode well for the Democrat Party. The abortion hope they have, it's got different parts in it. It's loaded with nuance. Political geography plays a part, doesn't boost Democrat chances overall. If hordes of new voters come from coastal areas, cities, and other locations where Democrat Party power is heavily concentrated, the net gain right now, it's negligible. It's not even making a radar blip. Nothing is shocking about more pro-abortion voters registering to vote in a hardcore pro-abortion state like New York. Politico, the publication, also highlighted one crucial point. Even with a surge in new voters that are supposedly breaking for Democrats, they're still in a hole. Republicans have dominated the voter registration drives across the nation since 2020. New Republican voters and former Democrats have given the GOP the edge now for 18 months. The flip side, all these new registrants are going to vote on election day. Not just because they're registered doesn't mean they're going to vote. It is why get out the vote operations are more valuable than they ever have been. Now, what I just told you, that's an article from Politico. It's a stark contrast to the New Republic's hyperbolic piece that claimed an army of normal Americans will wreck the GOP's 2022 chances 
citing Dobbs' impact on voter registrations. It was pure bravado, which was light on facts. It was just a hit piece. Taxpayer-funded abortion up until the moment of birth, the evolving consensus among liberal voters is not popular. Then again, neither is an outright abortion ban. The consensus is that abortion will probably be legal, determined by state legislatures, not taxpayer-funded, and prohibits partial birth terminations. Legal, but heavily restricted, is perhaps going to be the end game, which to liberals might as well be an outright ban since they can't kill babies at will, whose bill is footed by the government. It's interesting when you follow the landscape of the media and the way the media reports news. You got to remember this. There's a reason why Politico is considered to be a far-left news and media entity. And you know what that reason is? Because they are. They're far left. That's the way they report on everything. Just like Fox News is on the other end of it. Newsmax is on the other end of that spectrum. You've got CNN, MSNBC, the three big broadcast news entities. Uh, Who would that be? ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN out there. They're the cable counterpart. They're all going to report everything with a leftist slant because that's who they are. Truth News Network and TNN Live is in existence today because of those gross misrepresentations. There aren't enough people out there giving news to people that is just pure factual, minus a political perspective. And Americans are not stupid. There are, there are a bunch of Americans who just don't get into the political conversation, and they don't want to. They need to because politics and political issues impact every one of us. They're not exempt just because they don't want to get involved in a discussion. All that being said, we're facing what may be the most important election in our lives, November the 6th. I got to be honest with you. I pray every day that our elections are going to be this particular one is going to be handled legally and fairly, and it's not going to be overrun by hackery and thuggery that we saw coming out of the 2020 election. Oh, yes, it did happen. Courts have stepped in and said it happened. There are litigation pieces that are still pending. There are criminal investigations that are still in operation checking out what happened in various places in the 2020 election that they know were illegal, but they're trying to get to the bottom of all of that so they can make decisions on pursuing it criminally the election coming up. It may be the most important election that you have the right to vote in. So I encourage you, make sure you're registered. And make sure you do whatever is necessary to vote. If you can go early and vote, I suggest you do that because you don't know what's actually going to be happening election day that Tuesday. We don't know. But whatever it takes, let your voice be heard and let it be heard through a vote. Something good to talk about today. Isn't it nice to have that? 
You know who Aaron Judge is? I do. Let me tell you the reason I do. I'm a lifelong New York Yankee fan. Aaron Judge last night hit his 60th home run. And when he hit it, a long shot to left field. I mean, it was amazing. The second he swung the bat and you heard the sound, you knew it was gone. When he hit that, he tied Babe Ruth. With his 60th home run, he tired he tied Babe Ruth. I thought it was very, very worthy to even talk about that. Aaron Judge gave the fans what they wanted last night. Trailing by four runs in the game, heading into the bottom of the ninth inning, Judge led off by hitting the home run that tied him with Babe Ruth for a single season of homers. Four batters later, Stanton finished it with a game-winning grand slam that gave the Yankees a wild 9-8 victory over the hapless Pirates in the Bronx. Those one, that's one of the that's one of the baseball games. I love those kind. I don't like the one nothing games. I like the 15 to 14 games. This one wasn't that big, but it was close. Nine to eight. And a grand slam won the game. So of course, Judge got a curtain call of applause. And he was reluctant, but he answered it. Anthony Rizzo doubled before. Torres walked, Josh Donaldson flared a single to right center to load the bases for the slumping Stanton, who was booed earlier in the game, having struck out three times. But he responded with a 118-mile-per-hour laser into the left-field seats, the second homer of the inning, allowed by right-hander Will Crow. The two blasts by their top sluggers, allowed the Yankees to maintain their five-and-a-half game lead over second-place Toronto in the American League East. I love to talk about sports. We don't do it much here because it's really not news kind of things that we typically talk about at TNN Live. That doesn't diminish the importance of sports in our lives. We all have sports that we like to talk about, that we like to be involved in, And that's good. That's just part of being an American. I love the Yankees. Other other teams that I like, at least watch, and I'm okay with, the Atlanta Braves would be number two for me. Texas Rangers, number three. And the Astros, number four. Yankees, number one all time in my head. Hey, we're not done yet here. I've got another goodie for you. A bomb I'm going to drop. And don't forget, you can get this podcast broadcast by going to any podcast outlet, anytime. When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies, how do you spell relief? TNN, the Truth News Network. DesMoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. 
park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. This movie that is out, it's not in theaters, it's online, but it is a documentary about the president's son, Hunter Biden. It's kind of uh, ramped up again, the conversation about Hunter Biden, what he has done, what he did financially, and how involved his dad was. Well, in Congress yesterday, there was a vote. And it was about a bill to actually start a formal investigation, Congress, to start a formal investigation into Hunter Biden. Jim Jordan, Congressman Jim Jordan, he's a firebrand from Ohio. Like him a lot here. He exploded yesterday in a hearing about Hunter Biden. Uh, Thank you, Madam Chair. I just want to set the record straight. Earlier, our colleague from Virginia said Republicans have manufactured investigations. So again, I want to set the record straight. Lois Lerner targeted conservatives. That's not Ranking Member Comer saying that. That's not Jim Jordan saying that. That's not Republicans saying that. That was the inspector general at the Treasury Department saying that. The Democrats, specifically Hillary Clinton, tried to misinform, mislead the American people about the tragedy that happened in Benghazi. Here's what she said just days after that tragedy. Some have sought to justify this vicious behavior as a response to inflammatory material on the Internet. She tried to blame it on a video. John Koskinen, who came in to, quote, fix up the IRS, he actually destroyed backup tapes that were under a preservation order. Republicans haven't manufactured anything. Democrats certainly have when it comes to President Trump. Democrats targeted President Trump. They lied to the FISA court. They altered evidence in front of the FISA court. Again, not ranking member Comer doing that, saying that. This this was the inspector general at the Justice Department, Mr. Horowitz. They did all that. We know they they did it all to do what? To spy on President Trump's campaign. They had a, the Washington Post wrote about this, that that the FBI had someone posing as somebody else bump into Papadopoulos in Europe. You know what they call that when someone pretends to be somebody else and they're being paid by the FBI to bump into someone associated with this campaign? You know what they call that? Spying. That's what they did. And this all led to Jim Comey leaking the memos to create momentum to get the special counsel, which they got, Robert Mueller, two years, 19 lawyers, 40 FBI agents, $30 million later. What did they find? Not a darn thing. And he says Republicans manufacture things. They manufacture. They're still doing it. Seven years they've been going after President Trump. We just want to do the legitimate investigations, and this is certainly one. How do we know? Because last spring, the Washington Post did two articles, March 20th, 30th, excuse me, this, this spring, two articles, eight-page articles, four minutes apart, talking about the Hunter, lap, uh, Hunter Biden laptop as being real and his connections with Chinese companies. This is as real as it gets, so I guess the real question is, what are the Democrats afraid of? We're just asking for information. 
We're not asking for anything. Just, just give us the facts. We want to know the communication. We want the information. That's all we're asking for. And it's kind of important when you think about what happened in 2020. What happened in 2020? 51 former Intel agents misled the country when they signed the letter saying the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. No, it wasn't. The, the Washington Post told us so March 30th of this year. Oh, and what else happened? The FBI went to Facebook and said, hey, you might want to be on the lookout for Russian disinformation. Wink, wink. Don't, don't talk about this story. And what else happened? Maybe the most important thing. We had whistleblowers go to Senator Grassley and say that FBI agents, specifically Timothy Tebalt, suppressed evidence about the Hunter Biden, Biden family operation just days and weeks before the most important election we have, a presidential election. And so what we have in front of the committee today is simply, let's, let's just get the information. Let's let the, after the American people were lied to prior to the 2020 election about this story, why not let them have the truth now? It's two years too late to have an impact on the most important election we have in our nation. Two years too late, but at least we should get it. And Democrats say, no, no, no. Let's just call, let's just say that Republicans do things that are, that, that, that are manufactured investigations when in fact they're not because the Inspector General at Treasury, the Inspector General at Justice have all said they were legitimate investigations where they did wrong things. We're simply asking for information. And you guys know we can't do it. We can't do it. We're not going to do it. We're going to defend Joe Biden no matter what, even though all the evidence is there, even though the Washington Post, your favorite newspaper, said so this past spring. This is a good resolution. We should do it. I can't believe the Democrats are opposing it. I yield back. Interesting. Well, they didn't pass that bill to investigate Hunter Biden in the House. And, of course, the reason they didn't is Nancy Pelosi, Democrats control. They have the majority in the House of Representatives. So speaking of whistleblowers and problems in our government, Several U.S. Capitol Police whistleblowers turned up yesterday. They've been exposing what they call intelligence failures that led up to the events of January 6th and problems in the law enforcement agency's command structure. Representative Rob Davis, Rod Davis, Republican from Illinois, the ranking member of the Committee on House Administration, said yesterday whistleblower testimony speaks directly to the need to reform the $460 million police agency, the Capitol Police, with 2,300 employees. We have heard from several whistleblowers, he said, who fear retribution, and we take seriously the need to protect their identities. This is Representative Davis speaking. Many have brought to light issues with the command and control structure of the U.S. Capitol Police, including the Capitol Police Board. News of the Capitol Police whistleblowers came shortly after an email surfaced from a former Capitol Police intelligence analyst to senior staff there at the agency. The memo by Eric Hoare, dated January 9th of 2021, blasted the Capitol Police for failure to share information on threats from groups that talked about attacking the Capitol on January 6th. We analysts have been reporting for weeks that Patriot groups are commenting on social media their intentions to storm the Capitol with overwhelming numbers. I don't know what was occurring behind the scenes, 
but I hope that information was briefed with the veracity it deserved and not just a one-time event assessment. That was this former intelligence guy, Hoare. He was assigned to Capitol Police Intelligence and Interagency Coordination Division, and he has since left the Capitol Police. This just this just makes it even more necessary. We have to, we the people, have got to get our government, federal government, top to bottom, get it straightened out. Get people out that are dishonest, lawbreakers, get them out. Do whatever it takes to get them out. And then the intelligence community, CIA, FBI, principally the FBI. We got to stop that mess. If we don't stop it, it's not going to stop because they're not going to do it. You could hear the frustration in Jim Jordan's voice. And sadly, the only way there will be a real investigation of Hunter Biden is if the House is taken over by Republicans on November 6th. That's a wrap on the show today. Good show. A lot of information. Thank you for sharing it with us. You have a great Monday. Well, it's not Monday, Dan. It's Wednesday. (laughs) Have a great Wednesday. Don't forget, check out that article on the front page of truthnewsnet.org. It'll knock your socks off. And we'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern, here at TNN Live. For the second show
家。